Hey everyone, welcome to Required Reading. This week we are doing Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. Which, if you subscribe, you know, because last week Lucas Farage read a reading for us. If you are interested in this, um, you should read it. We are doing it, of course, because the 20th anniversary of the movies just happened. At least the first movie, Fellowship. And with that in mind, of course, <clears throat> I wanted to make sure we covered it. And we had our resident Tolkien expert, uh, Robert Von Hagen, back to talk about it. We are joined by Mike Carroll. Now, our conversation got good and it started to keep going. So we decided to break this up. Uh, right at book two. For those of you who don't know the books, well, uh, these are actually written in six parts, and Fellowship has two parts within it, one in book two. So we read book one, and we will talk about book two next week in a extra special, super quick, double back episode. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us wherever you get it, and share it. We're growing, and it's all thanks to you guys. Thanks! Welcome to Required Reading. This is your host, Nick Hoffman. On the panel we have Mike Burns, Robert Von Hagen, and Mike Carroll. He just can't get rid of Carroll. He just lives <laughs> in the studio with us now. Um, but as promised, we are back after doing The Hobbit last season. This season we're doing The Fellowship of the Ring, and we will continue bringing Robert back until we've run out of poetry, lyric, and song um, of Peter Jackson. I mean, uh, Tolkien. Um, so, uh... I don't even know where to start with this. I imagine this is the 20th anniversary. The reason that we put it on the schedule is the 20th anniversary of the first movie. So we figured it'd be fresh in everyone's mind. They re-released them in theaters over Christmas. Um, usual question. When was the first time you read this? What brought you in? Why are you here? So uh, this is Robert again. Uh, I read this in eight, uh, 11th grade. Mm. So I um, you know, had read The Hobbit earlier in, uh, you know, in middle school and elementary school. I picked it up, and this was, uh, I have a vivid memory of reading this book um, to the point where I, I basically devoured it, and I remember um, in the, um, you know, the third part of it, um, uh, the battle before God, or standing up reading because I was so excited by the <laughs> battle, so like literally being so consumed by the 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 story in the battle to, to be excited about it, yeah. So given the title of our podcast, was it required reading, or how did, did someone say, hey, Robert, no, you got to read this, or just how interested did you discover in it? it? Yeah, okay. science fiction and fantasy, and sort of, it was in some ways a gateway to that to the, 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 those genres right. for me, but I mean, uh, but yeah, just pleasure reading, and I decided to pick it up. I sure. can't remember, had you read The Hobbit before? And, yeah, and that's so just, I had, this had is a progression for you? Some some uh, Hobbit, and I think it was in fourth grade, fifth okay. grade, and then, and then uh, read it completely in middle school and so yeah it was sort of a slow progression yeah love it yeah and then on the other end of the spectrum you said you read it for the first time this fall, past fall right yeah, yeah. So, so actually yeah for the for the first time this past summer so i had i had read the hobbit before i had read the hobbit when i was younger um and then i had also i had also we had done for summer reading the hobbit for a while in eighth grade so i was pretty familiar with the hobbit but i had never read the trilogy before i had never read uh, I had never read Tolkien's trilogy until this past summer. Um, I, I like to think that I might be the only person that has like become interested in Tolkien through like his scholarly works about Beowulf. Yeah. I think that, mm -hmm. that, that I don't think that that's like typically the normal track to getting interested in Tolkien. Uh, but but Tolkien wrote an article uh, called "The Monsters and the Critics," um, in which he defended why the story of Beowulf, why the poem of Beowulf. 
uh, is as important as it is. Um, and I was really intrigued with his with his views on Beowulf, and as a result, uh, went down like a little bit of a Tolkien kick as a result of that. Um, and then uh, and then yeah, so over the over this past summer, um, I had never I had never read the trilogy, and so I had the opportunity. Kind of English teacher dream to be able to over the course of the summer read the read the trilogy. Sure. Um, and it was and it was spectacular. It was awesome. Yeah. And thematically, lots of uh, between Beowulf and oh yeah, yeah. Right, just right, yeah. thematically and in just like direct allusions. Yeah. And, and it, it's just all over the place. And kind of as I was revisiting my notes for this podcast, I was I was even reminded even of of a couple more things that are kind of just just a direct allusion, just a direct reference to to the story of Beowulf. So, sure. Yeah. yeah. So can you share those? What what are no, I mean, those? yeah, there, there are a couple. There's actually there's quite a few more with uh with the Hobbit actually even more so than with uh than with the the trilogy, but w- one of which being the number of people that go out that venture on the journey for sure. uh, for the the story of the Hobbit. It's the the thirteen dwarves and then Gandalf and then uh, and then Bilbo, yeah. and then Bilbo and then for the story of Beowulf for the number of warriors that head over to um, that head over to the land of the Danes to fight Grendel. It's it's fourteen plus Beowulf, so making fifteen. So it's just a direct like fifteen for fifteen. Obviously the story of of Smog and then the Beowulf dragon. The, there's a, a thief that goes into the mountain and steals a cup, and then as a result the dragon goes and attacks all the countryside, and then there's the the, uh, the repercussions and the um, kind of the the fall that takes place afterwards, both of Beowulf and then of the dragon, of course. And then afterwards, after the the dragon fight in in Beowulf, there there's kind of like the wars, the Swedish wars that end up consuming the the, the dynasties that are in place at the time. And then you have the the battle of the five armies that's in that's in uh, mm-hmm. that's in the Hobbit as well. So it's it's just a lot of there's a lot of like direct allusions and then. Uh, and then uh, just all over the place, just the, with the songs and the hall, and it, it's just it's it's just everywhere. So. so since you teach Beowulf, how will you will you like tease kids with that? Will you be pushing this towards kids that are you know really into Beowulf? Say, hey, you got to read this then. So I've thought about that a little bit. Always when we get to the moment where we have the the servant who who breaks into the mountain and steals the cup for to try and kind of mm. earn back his freedom for from his master. Whenever we get to that moment in the text. I'm always like, all right, pause there for a second. Let's go to the back of the book and take a look where, where in uh, Seamus translation, he does have on, on page 103, I know because it was just like last week that we did this. Sure. Uh, on, on page 103, yeah. they have Tolkien's The Monsters and the Critics, and then we go there and talk about like, hey, so does this sound familiar? And inevitably somebody has uh, is, is familiar enough with the story of The Hobbit to be able to say that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think I remember that. So, so yeah, it, it's cool that we've got that, we've got that kind of overlap. So. Sure. My children are much older now, so I don't know. I mean, do kids watch Lord of the Rings? Is that like in current, you know, their lingo? I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. I mean, would they know of it if you referenced it? Like, oh, I, I think that they do at, uh, at the I, eighth grade level. For yeah. Example. Again, I, I, as Nick said, kind of opening up the podcast, I think it's it's now that we're at the twentieth kind of. Uh, the reunion of the release of the movie. I think that it is kind of in common vernacular. I think that the kids do know about it. 
Um, and when I bring it up that way as well, I mean, there's there's always a couple of students that 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 are, are raising their hand and be like, this sounds a lot like The Hobbit. Sure. It's normally like like five or so in each class, but remember, we used to do it for summer reading. So it used to be like that they better know it because otherwise it means that they didn't do their summer reading, right. you know. So it used to be in eighth grade that that everybody here at Maris would would have read it coming in, but uh, that hasn't necessarily been the case when now that we've kind of shifted around the way that we do summer reading. Very good. Had you read this before? Yeah, I read it in high school, so it's been a long time. And I'll fess up, I did not reread it for this podcast, mm. so. You're going to get bad marks? marks. Yeah, maybe I should just leave now and hang my tail in shame. Um, yeah. But yeah, just one of those sort of things. I was an avid reader, and someone said, oh, you might like this, and I devoured mm. it like you. Um, but I haven't gone back since, so mm. that's something maybe I'll be inspired to from this podcast. Well, as you kind of alluded to, um, there's fantasy books, and then there's this. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's, in some ways, it's so good, it spoils a lot of other things. And until, I guess, George R. R. Martin, no one talked about fantasy in the way that they talk about this book. I read it in middle school, um, and, well, I read The Hobbit in middle school, and I first read this in high school. And, you know, it was one of those things, like, I started to read it, not really motivated by it. Uh, and then, I think it was the Council of Elrond kicks, and I'm just, you're there. Because otherwise, it, it, at first, it seems kind of like they're puttering around, nothing really gets mm -hmm. going. Um, when I was a junior, which was 2001, um, the English department, we read Sir Gawain or Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, mm -hmm. Tolkien's translation, and uh, which is one we should also do, because a movie came out about that this uh -huh. year, which was pretty good. Um, we'll have our, our ancient text, <laughs> our medieval text back. But, um, and it was Tolkien's translation, and I'm just like, oh, I can see it. Like, there's something about this world that I think really kicks. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I would say your, your experience of, of reading it for the first time, the Tolkien, it was, a, it was a story that evolved over time. And really the first two chapters of this, um, he was still trying to kind of have it in the, the world of the Hobbit in terms mm -hmm. of the sort of, uh, the way it was written and sort of a, a children's story and, and it, it at a certain point and you can kind of see it it becomes something completely different in terms of scale and scope mm -hmm. um, but it takes a couple chapters for it to get there and, and, it, and it truly uh, as he wrote it it evolved over time sure um, and became a, a lot different than I think he knew at the beginning and, and you really get that because the first is almost a farce comedy mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we smash cut to the hundred and the eleventieth birthday, <laughs> right? Yeah, and um, and again, this is something they tighten up in the movie. But this first book goes on and on and on and on and on and on, and mm -hmm. and I mean, I guess also like the hobbits who are part of the story, they don't really know what's going on. It's not until they meet up uh, with Strider uh, mm -hmm. that the momentum of the book goes. They kind of get lost. Uh, but you know, we should start with video. We should start with the beginning here. Yeah. Uh, it's Bilbo's birthday. Right. And uh, everyone's at the Shire Gathering, uh, including we've called back together Gandalf, who, uh, I'm just going to say, it seems like everyone's drunk in this whole opening scene. Like, they're stealing fireworks and just blowing them up. Uh, there's a party of everyone's extended family. It seems very anxiety-inducing. And they keep, like, asking for more wine and partying. And Bilbo's just finally, I hate you all, and then goes invisible, and the plot starts. Yeah. It's kind of it. Yeah, talk about a mic drop, just puts on the ring and just vanishes. <laughs> After <laughs> insulting the whole family, yeah, uh, which is right. kind of the best. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and we don't really know what's going on. I mean, they, they, they kind of dance around this in the show, in the movie and in the book, but he's been writing his book, There and Back Again, mm -hmm. uh, and he's deciding to leave everything to Frodo 
including his magic ring, the, mm-hmm. the, the MacGuffin of the of the Hobbit, which turns out to be the most important MacGuffin in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, people then go on for 3,000 pages to destroy the thing, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Which is awesome. Um, uh, we're introduced to the rest of the main cast of Hobbits, which is Samwise, yep. who is the, the buddy, the, the worker, eventually will become kind of the guy who helps him through the whole rest of these three books. Uh, we have Pippin, uh, a Took, and apparently the Tooks are really just just the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mary Brandybuck. Um, and these are, again, they're out of a different story. And part of the pro- progress of Fellowship is they're maturing into these mm-hmm. kind of, not necessarily hardened people, but they're around warriors the entire rest of the books, and this is the only levity we really get, other than mm-hmm. the developing friendship between um, Gimli and um, Orlando Bloom. Yeah. <laughs> but again, they're the, the hobbits are sort of the everyday person that mm-hmm. the reader can go along on the journey with, with this group um, right. to experience what they're going to experience. So, Robert, I know you, you read it as an 11th grader, you fell in love with it, and you've continued to read it many yeah. times. So what what about the book rewards the, the reading? What do you see when you come back to it, and, and what keeps you immersed in this world? Yeah, no, great question. I, I think uh, on a number of different levels, I think the story is compelling, right? It, it's, a, it's a great story. It's an epic story, and, and um, again, the characters are incredible. Um, uh, we've talked about a lot of them um, already. Do you have um, a favorite? Uh, yeah, great question. So uh, Sam is one of my favorites. Sure. Uh, Sam is, in, in some way, you know, Frodo is sort of the the main character, but then it's really s- some people would argue that maybe Sam is as well. Um, kind love of the moral Sam. center, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, um, but uh, yeah, no, I, and, and it's beautiful. Uh, the depth of um, the the beauty of the writing. Um, and the prose, uh, um, you know, just the depth of the of the history behind it. So, like, all of the mythology from Samarillion, um really undergirds it. And, and so, at some point, uh, Tolkien made a decision to to bring those two worlds together, right? And 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 then when he, as he did that, as he wrote this, it, it's like just volumes of depth to the story that it, it, it wouldn't have had without that back history, which, sure. which we really didn't know anything about until after uh, the book was uh, uh, written. Um, all of that came out, you know, much, much later. But Well, and I think that's what's so interesting and kind of clever mm-hmm. about this party scene. Because it's such a warm, safe little community, and they're worried about the smallest little bickerings with family and mm-hmm. friends. And, you know, people are like, again, they're getting into fireworks because they've kind of been drinking, and they're just like, well, this will be fun. And they mm-hmm. leave this world to a world of ghosts and monsters and things completely out of their control. You know, it's it's such a fascinating... And again, I mean, we, we're already introduced to one of the most interesting ca- characters in all of fiction, which is Gandalf. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gandalf the Grey, at this point, um, is a wizard from a world of wizards that we don't really ever get a full explanation on, other than the fact that there's only, like, seven in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and turns out his teacher is corrupt. And it's just, <laughs> if one of the seven is corrupt, three are not ever mentioned, and <clears throat> one is Radagast the Brown. It's just... It just lets you know that this world is not con- really controllable. It's it's fascinating, mm-hmm. and Gandalf just has powers that are never really explained, but he's willing to help this one little mission. It's fascinating. I love it. Yeah, I I, I also like that that uh, Gandalf then is one of kind of the bridges that you get between the story of the Hobbit that kind of threads into the story of that, that threads into the trilogy as well, 
Um, and as a result of that, he is not only one of the threads, like obviously, obviously the ring is one of those threads, and Bilbo is one of those threads. But then when you get Gandalf, Gandalf also is so knowledgeable about the world and about the history that, and he, and he even learns a little bit more before returning back to the Shire. Uh, it's where we get the, those lineages of Bilbo and Isildur and the ring that, that kind of like sets up the foundation for what the rest of the trilogy is going to be about. Um, and and th that's where I find things really interesting in, in, in kind of these, these threads that are uniting the story of The Hobbit and then, and then so many years later the story that, that ends up with uh, the, the journey that takes place for the trilogy. Absolutely. Um, well, let's, let's get going on this journey. Uh, essentially what happens is, as mentioned earlier, uh, Frodo kind of is supposed to inherit everything. Uh, Bilbo's going to go to visit the elves and then kind of go off into the hereafter uh, in a very kind of touching, weird, unexplained, interesting last expedition, at last adventure for him. And the one thing he can't seem to get rid of is this one ring. Uh, despite the fact that he's 111, he hasn't <laughs> aged a day, it seems. And Gandalf is kind of suspicious after, I guess, recovering from the party. Um, but he writes out this will and says, I'm leaving everything to Frodo. And then the ring is just back in his pocket. And at this point, Gandalf uh, kind of disappears. He's like, i got to figure out what's going on. Um, and right as they're about to leave, he's like, let me see the ring again. And that's where we get the invocation that we read before. Uh, we had a student volunteer. I don't know who it is yet. I think it's Lucas, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that gets done. Uh, but... Uh, do you want to read it? Do you want me to read it? Do we have it? Have you marked it? I have it marked, yeah. The, sure. Well, the inscription? Yeah, let's do the inscription. Um, but, so, we'll paint the scene. Great. They toss it into the fireplace. Yep. He pulls it out, and uh, there's this ins inscription that glows, and the ring seems to shrink just to fit his finger. Mm -hmm. And this is what the inscription says. Um, Three rings for the elven kings under the sky. Seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone. Nine for mortal men doomed to die. One for the dark lord on his dark throne. In the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them. In the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. Bone chilling. <laughs> yeah, so good. Man. And, um... We get the scene where the most powerful thing we've ever come in contact with in these books, in The Hobbit, it, everyone's afraid of him, kind of, and it's kind of cool with him around Gandalf, is taken aback by the fact that he's hold, he, he, he refuses to touch it. Let, let me get that right. He refuses to touch this mm -hmm. one artifact, this incredible mm -hmm. gold ring. So um, do we want to go in the backstory on the creation of the ring, or do we not we want to go yeah, there? Yeah, tell us what you. Yeah, so the um, the elves were master uh, uh, creators, uh, and so they uh, they developed these three rings um, uh, to um, basically preserve um, preserve the power. They wanted to preserve uh, sort of elf, uh, uh, you know, uh, the elf kingdom here on uh, in Middle Earth. Um, and so the, the, the tools were, were good. Uh, they were for preservation. Um, and um, uh, t there is some question, though, like some, some dialogue about sort of getting those themes of Beowulf about the natural course of things and allowing things mm -hmm. to pro progress. Uh, uh, you know, so again, the elves were the firstborn uh, on Middle-earth. 
humans were, uh, were came after them, and so the elves had their time, and then the humans were supposed to have their time, and so part of the development of the rings was sort of made the elves trying to preserve their kind of uh, life and, and, and whatnot on Middle Earth. But but anyway, so Sauron, uh, the, the bad guy, um, he sort of um, uh, is deceptive, uh, and he um, uh, pretends to be, uh, you know, a, a good uh, good guy, and uh, he learns how to make uh, the the rings through by, by sort of deceiving uh, these these elves, and they sort of teach him their craft, uh, and he creates this one ring that can... Um, control all the other rings and it gives him basically ultimate power and so for him to do that he had to uh, uh, transfer a lot of his own personal power into the ring um, but but by doing that but then he has dominion over all the other rings he also created rings for uh, humans so there's nine of them uh, and then again he, he created some for el uh, uh, dwarves as well so the the three uh, elves rings the dwarves rings uh, the human rings um, and then and then his is the one that rules them all all right and like you said, part of the thing is the idea that there's a natural progression of how these things go, and he's disrupting that by saying, I'm actually in charge of the humans. I'm actually yep. have control over these beings. Um, we're also told, right around here, that there was a war for this ring. We're not. The rest of the details come out later, right. but he said they tried to destroy it once, and Sauron must be back. And like mm -hmm. just by having the ring... It's awakening these forces. Um, and when it, was, it was cut off Sauron's hand. Yep, right. Mm -hmm. His finger, yep, right. And um, the second everyone leaves the Shire, the Nazgul, who are the nine kings of men, are chasing after him. Uh, and so the power is still a curse, even even in death, even as, uh, <laughs> as the plot comes after them. Very dramatic. Right. Yeah. That's right. Um... Yeah, so where do we want to go from here? I mean, we the, the quest itself, uh, they're just like, they're, the hobbits, uh, is first, first it was going to just be Frodo, mm -hmm. and then Sam is eavesdropping, so it's also Sam, and then Merry and uh, Pippin are just, they just kind of follow along, but they're just trying to get to the next town over. Yeah, yeah, huh? that, it, I think that, and I, I, I like that Traffic. aspect. Yeah, I know, I like <laughs> I like that aspect of it too, where it's just like, okay, well, we're we're just taking for right now, like all we really know, the the path is not really totally clear to us, but what we know is like only just the next step that's in front of us. So that's right. the next step is to, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, how it ends up being with that that at that next stop, they end up meeting uh, meeting Aragorn rather than Strider. meeting Gandalf. But right. I think that it was the intention was correct me if I'm wrong. I'm 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 trying to trying to remember. Yeah. But I think that in in the text the the intention was for the hobbits to meet up with, with Gandalf and then he was going to help instruct them from there. Right. Uh, so they, they they were waiting for Gandalf to arrive before they started their journey. He never showed up. Exactly. And so yeah. then they get on the road. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they're on their way to the town of Bree. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um. It feels like I'm doing oral exams, and Robert knows the answer. He's, he's, he's got the key. But I will say, this is the part that is cut out of the movie, because this is when they run into Tom Bombadil. Yeah. Uh, where the old willow, literally, they literally get consumed by these trees. Yes, well, right. the hot um, And then we have a musical number. Mm -hmm. I, I will emphasize here, this is different from the movies, but there's a song at least, what, every 20 pages? Like, yeah, it, it's a very musical the book. The fellowship, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want one of you to try to explain Tom Bombadil, because the first time I read the book, I was utterly baffled by him, and this time I absolutely fell in love. Because, mm -hmm. again, he reminds me of uh, 
My favorite version is the Muppet Christmas Carol. But he reminds me of the ghost of Christmas present. He's just walking around singing a song. He has food for no reason. Yeah. And somehow his song, the world stops, and he just saves the day. It's, yeah. It's yeah, amazing. There, there, there are definitely, and, and Robert, you can probably tell us a little bit more about. I, I believe he's he's a wizard, um, and or or is actually he's not. not. No. He's, okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. What, what, what can you what can what can you kind of enlighten us? I, he's an enigma. I, I don't even know if I can explain what he is. I don't even know if Tolkien could. Um, he he has always been around. He's he's uh, I you know he's been uh, you know I think there's a element of of. Um, of, of being from nature mm-hmm. um, and being totally who he is, um, and uh, you know, again, he's he's got a, a wife that he's married, Goldenberry, who's sort of a daughter of the river, um, and so she. So I, I don't know exactly what it is. I mean, it's well, hard I was going to ask. I have yeah. a question because we're talking about such so scholarly about this and so yeah. deep into myths and, and mm-hmm. oral histories right. like Beowulf. Yeah, what is the precursor of this? Or, or conversely, how much of this just did he invent in his own mind versus? drawing on and, and twisting old tales mm. do you guys That's, know i think it was he, he's this character from he recycled lots of lots of stories sure. and and incorporated them into this and so i think that he loved the character and so he incorporated mm-hmm. him in it not I, I just i don't you know tom bombadil's a mystery okay well and i mean the way i kind of interpreted him this time is continuity um because there's this fear that like this could destroy the world and you know maybe it's an old carlin line but like you know, global warming is terrible, but it's not going to destroy the world. It's going to get rid of us, mm-hmm. right? Like, and there's something to this, like this idea that Tom Bombadil has always been there. Mm-hmm. He sees the ring. He's not interested in that kind yeah. of power. Right. So he's somehow, nature will continue, even if they destroy themselves and they destroy each other. Um, I, I do think a part of it, too, though, is the, the story truly is an evolution for Tolkien. I don't think he knew where it was going. So like, <laughs> this is an incorporation of an element that's early on, and 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 um and and again, I, I think it, it it's he didn't know where it was going to go, where the story was going to lead. Yeah. I, I do kind of like this vision of him following, as excited as we are, and he's there with his pipe and like a brandy, and he's like, you know, the eagles could show back up. Like yeah. it, it, it it it's kind of that well, way. Well, and, and even the the dark riders, which became the ring race, he just wrote that, and he was like, I don't know who these who this mystery character is but but it's in there now and it's a part of the story and then that took off from there so it's just fascinating yeah, yeah. well i mean and to wit this part of the story is completely extricated from peter jackson because it doesn't advance the plot mm-hmm. much but it does as a reader expand the world massively because mm-hmm. again uh he knows of gandalf but he doesn't know where gandalf is and yet somehow he's eternal and his wife looks like Again, from a completely different world, and he they just kind of sit around and eat with him, and he goes, "If you know my song, it'll get you out of problems as long as you're in my woods." And then it does, yeah. and then they're back on the road to Bree. Yeah, like, and, and I, I think that that's kind of it's interesting, Nick, that you brought up the eagles as well, because the when I was reading through it, it can almost kind of feel a little bit like Deus Ex Machina that we've got like this kind of this salvation that the hobbits find themselves in trouble and then all of a sudden here comes Tom Bombadil we sing a song and now everything is kind of rescued and saved and kind of similar to similar to the eagles as well yeah. that it's, it's kind of this moment of like oh okay here come the eagles to, to kind of like swoop down and save the day um and I I I, I think that that's that it, it lends a lot of of character especially to those to those first to those first chapters that as Robert was saying is is kind of like it feels so different it feels almost so 
Hobbit-esque. Yeah, that's um, right. That's exactly and, and, and right. And it's, yeah. it's still, I think, kind of, I think perhaps part of the reason for that is that the, it, it is still branching that world from The Hobbit into the trilogy. And I think that that's where, that's where Tom Bombadil falls, and that's, and that's where he remains, too. You, know, yeah. he doesn't, you, you don't see him ever again no. for, the, for the rest of the trilogy. Um, I have a question for you guys uh, who are much more versed in this. When Tolkien is writing this, so he goes from The Hobbit, clearly geared towards younger readers, yeah. right? What was the trigger that realized, and then who is he writing towards as he's writing more into the So he was trilogy? asked to write a sequel to The Hobbit, and he struggled with it, and, and he, he really, um, he sort of wrote a couple chapters and just wasn't going anywhere, and then at some point... It, it evolved and changed and clicked for him. Is and, he and, publishing this? Is are these like coming out serially in chapters and then think he, getting feedback? Like, so so technically it's not a trilogy, right? Right. So so but he wrote the the fellowship was the first section of it that it came out right, and then he, it came out in different segments, right? The way I understand it is like you said, like he essentially wrote the whole thing at once, but it would have been like a. 1300 page book so they broke it up and then after they yes, published they the first two parts i think he reworked a little bit of the second two parts but they like all come out within like th within uh, three years or something yeah, like that's that correct. Well, that's right, my right. question is he like workshopping this and like oh you gotta get rid of this and then and adding more of that or what was his editing process as he's as he's revising over the years i I'm, i have no idea i'm asking you guys it, so he so he had to make to make the stories align with the hobbit he had to make some edit, he had to make some revisions that it would line up, uh, and so the the thing that's like incredible about Tolkien though is like he would he really didn't want to cut anything, and so like all of his edits like it's like one word that he changed oh, wow. here and there and and one little set you know like so it's all very sparse editing to try to make it to redcon it to fit with the with the Hobbit wow. to, okay. to line up with it, but it I, I think as he wrote it over time. It, again, it evolved, and and he did. He took breaks, and at times, my understanding is he took breaks in writing it. There'd be like a long stretch, or he was busy with work, um, but then he would come back to it and have new energy, and and it would it would maybe mo uh, go in a different direction. Like several of the characters that that come around, like Faramir, Arwen, aren't even originally uh, a part of the uh, conception, and and they are only a lot later in the kind of the story that he kind of puts oh, wow. in and, okay. and elements. Yeah, so it's really, it's fascinating, the evolution of the story itself. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious about his creative process and editing, because I think of someone like Dickens who's publishing serially and then getting feedback right. and then oh. when he little Nell dies and, you know, people are weeping as they're, they're reading it. And, um, well, so I, I mean, just didn't know if he was doing a similar sort of thing. If I recall correctly, his, you know, old-time drinking buddy and friend was uh, C.S. Lewis. So I, I know that they had influences on each other as well. Um, another, you know, English fantasy writer will probably mm -hmm. do a little bit with later on. Yeah, what was the bar they hung out in? The, the, the Eagle Child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In Oxford, we took a trip there when when Catherine and I were were when I was. Yeah, I, I was there too at one point. Isn't there a booth there where he's there? Is a in, booth. Right? There, yeah. In fact, when you walk in through the front door of the Eagle and Child, they have the Tolkien room and they have the Lewis room. And under, like, there's a chair there uh, and and a massive portrait of. J.R.R. Tolkien smoking his pipe, and then on the other side, it's, it's <laughs> yes. like they're almost like looking at one another from the opposite room, and it's the Lewis room. Oh, that's yeah. awesome! It's really cool. Actually, my the, while I was studying there through through Brembo through the master's program that uh, that I was doing, I spent my 
my my birthday at the Eagle and Child. And oh, there you got, go. I got some I got some food. I got a got a drink at the Eagle and Child. Oh, that's there awesome. That's exciting. Yeah. That's awesome. And and I believe also they were aware of what is the next generation, which would be Dahl and Fleming, who are also of British intelligence, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But they were a generation later, effectively. Mm -hmm. um, so I imagine that was part of the editing process, too, them going to have a beer and saying, like, I'm working on this Gandalf character. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, maybe a fly on the wall. <laughs> no kidding. Can you imagine yeah. being that bartender? Right, yeah, yeah, no, beer, right. And probably thinking it all sounds like nonsense yeah. until the book comes <laughs> out. <laughs> Bora who? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, speaking of bars, eventually they do show up at three, and yeah. the hobbits get a little too drunk and mm -hmm. uh, start uh, re revealing secrets. Uh -huh. The one thing you're not supposed to say is Frodo's name or why they're there. Mm -hmm. um, so we have the alias. Underhill. Underhill, Mr. Yeah. Underhill yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, and we, we will, of course, I eventually... Just, I, that's what Fletch says in the movie Fletch, that <laughs> put them on the Underhill's bill. Complete aside. But I love the movie Fletch, and he, there you go. He, yeah, he charges it all to the Underhills. So um, it's all ball bearings. <laughs> that's a movie I've not seen in a very long oh, time. Oh my goodness, that's so good. And Chevy's shape was still okay. Sorry, that was that's a right. way, no, that's that was a 90 um, degree turn. At this point, we've also left the last little bit of Hobbiton. Yep. Uh, where the old jerk who sicked the dogs on the Hobbits before has been harassed now by a ringwraith. Um, and they're all trying to find... And so we realized that there was no, sh like, shield. There was no protection. The second they left Hobbiton, they were a target. Um, and now they're running to Bree with the Nazgul bearing down on right. them. Uh, and they find this one tavern that's open uh, mm -hmm. where the Prancing Pony, I believe, yes, where they're looking good. for anyone. <laughs> mm -hmm. Any sort of... Have you heard of Gandalf? Is he coming? The, the well, and, and to say this, the, the the ultimate goal I think is they they're trying to get to uh, Rivendell. Right. So so Bree's kind of the stopway, the halfway point to that. And uh, yeah, so they're they're there and um, yeah. Oh, and we were introduced to Strider, yep. um, who becomes the most important person in some ways in these movies yep. and books and everything. Uh, but he's just kind of a, they call him a ranger. Yeah. Uh, who. We kind of glean is kind of like a bounty hunter, kind of a muscle for hire, um, uh, but immediately the hobbits don't know whether to trust him or not because they were expecting Gandalf. Mm -hmm. And he goes, "You either take my word or you don't, but I know you're in trouble, and I'm here to help." So, what do you guys think of Aragorn? Aragorn. <clears throat> I mean, he's the man. Yeah, he's I mean, the yeah. awesome. So we, we find out, um, uh, you know, as, as the story evolves, we find out that, uh, you know, his back backstory and that, that he, um, you know, is the heir uh, to Isildur, who is the one who cut off the ring from Sauron's finger. Um, the, the hobbits have to make a decision about whether or not they're going to trust him and Bree or not. Uh, the, the guy who's the uh, innkeeper or the, um, you know, the um, head guy, Butterbur, Mr. Butterbur, yeah. doesn't trust uh, Strider and just sees him as some vagabond. Um, but uh, but eventually the hobbits do come to trust uh, Strider um, and uh, find out that actually he and and uh, Gandalf are very close and and uh, Gandalf uh, Gandalf had left a letter with Butterbur um, for uh, for Frodo uh, giving instructions that he they are to trust Strider and so eventually that letter does get to them and so they realize that they've made a good decision to trust Strider and Strider then takes him on. Uh, to the next stage, uh, going from Bree, trying to make it to Rivendell. I don't know if it, there's more you want to add to that, but uh. no. But other than we, this is the first time. 
the Nazgul have been chasing them, but they literally break into what yep. they think is their hotel room and try to kill these hobbits. Now mm-hmm. they've, they've been and spirited away. And their goal away. is to, steal, to, to bring the ring right. back, right? That's what they're looking for, the ring. Yeah. And uh, at this point, we're also kind of alluded to the second that it gets put on his finger, they're called like a, you know, a klaxon or something. Because during the bar scene, there's a shuffle and it kind of lands on him and he disappears and everyone panics. Part of, yeah. But you can almost, again, it's like a record scratch. They just start coming. They know immediately where he is. And Strider just looks at the hobbits, you idiots. Like, mm. we really have to hide. This is not a joke. Do you not realize right. the world you're in? And this is where, for the first time, the tempo really changes. Mm-hmm. Because Gandalf is kind of, he's not a narrator, but he's almost, he's the plot. When he shows up, he tells us where to go. And he's not here. So they're panicking, and now we have this potential other helper and we listened to him once, and we would have died if we hadn't. So mm-hmm. this is where the wind gets sucked out of everything. And it's, it's really an interesting shift, because it's also the longest single period of time without time actually changing. Yeah. It's like almost 100 pages here in some mm-hmm. way, where it's at night, and they're being attacked, and they're afraid to, they have to leave before dawn, and here's food, yeah. we've got to go. Like, it, it's a really a panic-inducing scene. Yeah, and, and just kind of thinking about, about that moment, it's almost as though we have, like, the passing of the baton from, like, Gandalf, who's been the kind of instruction giver and kind of, like, the guide on this path to Rivendell all along, to now we, we kind of hand over that baton to really the, the guide that will be for the making its way in the rest of the Fellowship and then into the 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 books and the story beyond and I think I, I kind of like that too that it, that it's almost like we were talking quite a bit already about how the the start of it kind of like feels like the Hobbit and we needed to have that moment of kind of transition from the this Hobbit feeling kind of like like uh, almost like fun time kind mm-hmm. of story that like fairy tale far more fairy tale esque at least at least in my opinion a children's story that, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. to to kind of the like oh oh we're we're, we're almost like in a big boy story like this is <laughs> Where we're kind of handing the baton off into into really what ends up becoming the the story of of humans and dwarfs and elves that that like explodes when you get to Rivendell and that that passing of the baton takes place with with Aragorn there at the prancing pony and then he kind of takes them on along and continues the journey from there. So I kind of like that as almost like a like a symbolic, if you will, kind yeah. of passing of that baton into into what will come after. And we will get to it. We talked about book two. Uh after the cancel of Elrond, but the incredible patience mm-hmm. that Gandalf must have not to just strangle the <laughs> like Merry and Pippin, who do nothing but cause chaos and mm-hmm. their near demise and nearly summon the Balrog and awake all the gut like yeah. every time they talk and at some point he just must go, it would be so easy just yeah. to get rid of it. But but in the end it's they good that they the came. Yeah. Yeah. It's good that they were a part For of sure. the, they awakened the, the ends and fellowship, uh, that's right. Yeah. Um yeah. Um I'll edit this out, but we've talked 45 minutes and we haven't even gotten to the second part. So do you want to just talk about the first part and come back and do book two? Because the Council of Elrond we could talk about for another half yeah. an hour. If you guys want to come back, do it next I mean, week. I mean, I'd certainly be... I'd certainly be I, I think to do it justice, we'd have sure. to. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, so. and then we could just release it as, you know, yeah. Fellowship Part 1, Fellowship Part 2, Great. release it on subsequent yeah. weeks. Yeah. But it just... 
We haven't even talked about Weathertop, which yeah. is another really important and I wanna, moment. I want to get into the Mines of Moria, too. That's the part of, like, the with the, the mountains and the dwarves, and I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And also the, the link with, 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 with Balin and, and Gimli, yep. too, being the cousins. It's yet another thread, so I'm, like, super jazzed up to talk about the Mines of Moria. Also... We will come back for part two, but we'll we'll, we'll finish we'll finish weather time. We'll talk okay. about that, but Get we will it. do a second episode on right. the fellowship. Okay. So, um, the last thing we got to talk about is the last ditch effort to try to catch back up with Gandalf is a mountaintop called Weathertop. Uh, it's kind of in the movie they depict it as a big kind of open hillside, a very exposed place, which is important that it's right. very exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of a, well, what happens if he doesn't show up? There's no answer to what happens. Strider's supposed to take him to Weathertop, because Gandalf, he'll be here this time. Don't you worry, kids. We, <laughs> Dad, Dad's coming. Uh, <laughs> the hobbits start a campfire, mm-hmm. and the Nazca immediately know where they are. And it's like five of them just show up, and it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um well, so they—I mean, after they leave Bree, they're in the wilderness, and and uh, um, Strider has taken them that way. And um, I, I don't know that it's certainly—I think he navigates them towards uh, Weathertop. Um, he knows about it as a as a sort of a central place. And then I think if I y- y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there like they they see at night there's some things going on. Aragorn uh, Strider knows it's it's something's happening on Weathertop. Like there's they see lights and flashes, mm-hmm. and I think that he thinks okay. That is a destination that I know I can bring them uh, to, um, you know, and to see kind of investigate what's what's what happened there. And is Gandalf there? I mean, that's the question. You know, he wants to know and he thinks that that he could have been. Um, And so they go up and investigate. But that's when they get trapped there on Weathertop and at night. And actually, I think they build the fire as sort of a defensive uh, 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 effort uh, to try to try to protect themselves and, and, and wrap them. But but again, the yeah, the. I don't think all the ring race are able to be there, uh, but there's a good con- uh, group of them that are coming, and then they attack them at night on Weathertop. Yeah. So Gandalf isn't there, mm-hmm. although they see signs that he might have been there in the past, uh, recently, right? Right. Yeah. And he, we don't see him again for the rest of this this section of the book. He comes back in book two. Right. Um, right. And so again, the the guiding force of this whole thing is gone. Mm-hmm. And in the fracas, we should mention. <laughs> Frodo gets stabbed. Yes. Yep. This is bad. Um, and so it's, it's at night, it's dark, and they're they're being attacked by the, the ring race that are there, right on top of Weathertop. Yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, and, and we get the, on <clears throat> one hand, it's it's an action scene. It's a well-written action mm-hmm. scene. Uh, the hobbits are not fighters, and they will be trained to fight, but at the moment they really can't. Um, Strider has a sword that he shows up in a, you know, he lights a branch on fire, and he's trying to chase these horrible shadow monster things away. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have Frodo realizing kind of what he has for the first time, that this ring mm-hmm. on one hand draws him, and he's he keeps having this compulsion to put the to ring put it on. on. Right, that's right. Um, which is terrifying. Uh, the idea that, like you said, these, these people are depicted kind of as innocents, and Frodo is supposed to kind of be in charge, but the fact that it's out of their control immediately is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, because these are just drinking buddies. These are people that they like each other. They like to be around each other. And that there's this horrible addiction, this power that could corrupt them. Um, 
it's it's scary. Uh, mm-hmm. So again, well these are the nine uh, humans that were given the rings by Sauron. They've turned into these wraiths. Uh, they're 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 you know kind of in this. Um, they're they're sort of completely dominated by Sauron. Uh, they have their they have no free will whatsoever. They live in this kind of twilight um, and are not really a part of the regular world. Um, but again, what they what they are doing is the 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 king of the ring race is very powerful. Um, and uh, he is calling to Frodo to put on the ring because if Frodo puts on the ring, they'll be able to see him because then he'll he'll go into their kind of twilight world uh, and they'll be able to easier better easier to capture him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so they're trying to do that. So Frodo does make the mistake and, and succumbs to that, which is one of the biggest mistakes that he makes in the journey. Yeah. Is he does put on the ring, um, and then they are able to to advance and try to try to attack him, which they do attack, and so. Um, again, Frodo, uh, uh, you know, fights back, and he actually uh, stabs him because uh, he has a sword as well, a, a small sword mm-hmm. um, that he does. But he does end, end up taking off the ring, and they actually do uh, uh, make it. I mean, they survive the, the attack at least that night, but they wound Frodo in the in the um, in the process, right? And it's it's like a poison, and the idea exactly. is that if he's fully possessed, then the Dark Lord will have power over him as well, or something. It's vague, but essentially we get this idea that Strider has some medicine, but he needs to get to the elves before this. Right, mm-hmm. so the the, the, uh, the king of the ring race stabs him, uh, and then the, bra- the blade breaks off, and so part of the, we find out later that uh, there's still uh, metal in the wound, and it's it's slowly making its way to Frodo's heart, and it's going to kill him. Yeah, and turn him into a completely, ra- like a wraith like they are, right? That's right. And so there is a race against time to get him to Rivendell to try to get Elrond to help save him, uh, and if he can, though, that's the thing. So. And I, and I will say that's the moment that, that I was talking before about kind of the, the, the difference between The Hobbit and, and the, the Fellowship and The Lord of the Rings. It, for, for me, it just feels like at that moment when Frodo gets stabbed on the way like on, on, at that part in the journey, that's when things really got ratcheted up, and that's when I started to get onto the edge of my seat to be like, "Whoa, okay, this is not this is not just a ch- like a children's story. Right. This is it, it almost had the feel in the Hobbit where it's like, okay, well, bad things are gonna happen, but Gandalf is gonna save us, and everything will be fine, and we're we're never really gonna be in that much trouble. And then Frodo gets stabbed in in the Fellowship, and it's like, oh, oh, that's what we're dealing with here. That's the kind of story that we're dealing with. And it's 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 kind of like a, a it ratchets up the story, in my opinion, a it's little bit. It's very Freudian, right? Yeah. He gets yeah, stabbed, absolutely. penetrated, and this mm-hmm. loss of innocence at this point. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and we should mention, this book comes out in 54. Everyone had an interpretation. Like, th- like, this book not only blows up, but, like, poets were weighing in, mm-hmm. and, like, it becomes mm-hmm. a smash success. Um, I think Carl Jung was still kicking around and did an interpretation of it. Oh, sure. like, no way. Yeah. Uh, um, W.H. Auden wrote the review for the New York Times. Oh, wow. What I want to get to eventually is like, obviously, young British boys who were reading this, like, and uh-huh. then it turned into Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. They all have their their Tolkien references in their songs. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's not subtle. Like, uh, oh, the, the yeah. Battle of Evermore is literally a song, and you're just like, there's ring raids in the song. So, you know, it's pretty metal. And I want to talk at some point, maybe not, not today or for this episode, but we are four white males here talking about this. Yeah. yeah. And is this just a male thing? or? Yeah. Well, and, you... and I would add, too, I mean, again, looking at it from our lens now of modern times, but, uh, you know, Dark, Dark Lord... Uh, there's a lot of references to darkness and white whiteness and lightness, and sure. so the, I think you know is the accessibility for 
diverse, uh, you know, consumers of this and uh, people from diverse backgrounds. It's it's like who is the audience? And, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we'll, we can we'll talk about it when we get to the council. Um, but you know, there's a controversy right now in the remake of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs uh, about representation and that kind of thing, and mm. whether or not you would even have so you know seven dwarves living in caves. Um, and here, of course, they're actual dwarves as opposed to just uh, little people. Um, but it's it's a touchy subject now, which you know it should be. But a seventy-five-year-old book that we're talking about. And so. and again, it's been a long time, so you guys are refreshing my memory on a lot of these. But my kids were so into Harry Potter, I can't mm-hmm. help but think like the Death Eaters with the oh, rays and the and the the, mm-hmm. the fact that. Uh, that Sauron put part of his soul into the right. ring. It's 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 a Horcrux before right. a Horcrux. Right, you know? exactly. And yeah. uh, Harry going in and out of yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got very frustrated with Harry Potter rereading this and rewatching the movies. I was like, oh, it's just a lot of lifted stuff. Yeah, a lot. Um, they're, well, both, they're both amazing. They are. They're they're both 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 both. Yeah. I'm fine with both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was actually. There's I'm, no original story, Nick. Yeah. No. no I, <laughs> I was going through and kind of coming up with some of the some some more of those parallels because I was thinking the exact same thing, Mike, and yeah. even down to even down to like Voldemort's leaving in like prior to the start of the the saga that ends up being the rest of the Harry Potter books and then kind of like that return just like yeah. Sauron is coming back and then of course later on in the return of the king you have uh, the the spider uh show up is that the is that the name of the spider and then the and then of course in the in the chamber of secrets you've got the Hagrid's kind of like spider and, and oh, there's yeah. a, so the, the, there are quite a few there's quite a few overlaps there and then the horcrux of course was the the as I was kind of going through I was like wow that's that's part of his soul that's that's been transferred into this object. It's, totally. It's, it's it's really fascinating to kind of look at the parallels between them. Has J.K. Rowling ever spoken about that? Has she spoken of, of Tolkien as an influence? I'm or? sure there's the interview. connections are so clear. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you have one of the most famous wizards in his in, in, in literature in uh, now I guess both books. Yeah. So you know, uh, I I believe it. Um, you want to get out of the plot? Elrond sends a wave. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, so they they make it uh, uh, the whatever the the river is like uh, on the kind of the doorstep of Rivendell, and so they have to. There's like this climactic scene where they're trying to get to the um, to past the boundary of that river, uh, and so they're uh, they're they're basically on their last leg. They're being chased by the ring race. They're they're basically caught. Um, one of the elves shows up. I think it's Glorfindel. Mm-hmm. He's got a he's got a horse. Uh, they throw Frodo's almost uh, um, a, a wraith. He, he's so so depleted and so um, you know sick, um, and so they're they're uh, they put him on the horse. They take off. Um, the horse takes off and, and tries to, to beat it to the to the river, um, and and so the, again the wraiths are chasing after him, and and again it's a very climactic scene, and and so do you want to say what ha- happens or well. They raise up the, the water that <clears throat> yeah. kind of washes the, the race away, <clears throat> yep. and Frodo loses consciousness, effectively. Right. We, we wake up in Rivendell, right. uh, but it's, I mean, and we get more into it in the next one, but it's one of the few instances where magic is really used, mm. because there's this idea that there's only so much magic, and if you use too much, it takes it out of the earth. Right. Um, so it's really just, uh, we have to get out of this. Uh, it's it's a last ditch effort mm-hmm. to end the scene. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and again, for people who were not, it, it's just it's clerks. I wasn't even supposed to be here today. Like we were supposed to have a wizard helping us, and it's uh-huh. these 
these four hobbits and the halflings, <clears throat> as they're called by everyone else, most people have never seen one before. They, they leave so rarely that you get a nickname just for leaving town. Mm-hmm. They're all townies. <laughs> Um, but that's the end of book one. Yeah. So I guess we'll we'll continue this next time. To be continued. Yeah. 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 Any passing thoughts before we get out of here? No. Uh, the only thing I will say is, if you have not read this, you need to, um, because the movie is great. But the movie spends maybe forty-five minutes on this. It's really rushing to get to the Council of Elrond. If you read through it, though, uh-huh. it's much more desperate mm-hmm. because, if, you know, if you just show up at the council, there's, there's that's where all the heroes are. But these four guys are on their own, and they, they find they find Strider. That's good. But they it's such a big world. They're so on every, and th- this feels much more desperate when you really read it, because it's half the book. Home. Yes, yes, I, and kind of just as you're saying that, I'm I'm thinking to myself that in reading the book, the I think that in watching the movie, sometimes the world that Tolkien has created ends up shrinking down a little bit, because yeah. in in the book, that journey ends up taking days and days and days right. and days and each one of those days passes and Sam gets a little bit more worried about Frodo you know and it's and you, you can kind of see kind of the length of the journey and this and as a result the size of the world and the scope of the world that's been yeah. created rather than oh this is just like one like a, like a quick jaunt over no this is this is a journey that is of massive scope right. and you, you don't you, you don't get that in the movie i think that you you only do get that as you're making your way through the reading of the story and you see a like oh, okay wow we're, we were we were in those woods on the way over to to the Francine body on the way over to free for like a week and a half. Right. This wasn't just a quick like we we went through a cornfield and then all all of a sudden wrapped the prancing pony. This was this was a significant portion of the journey. So. Well, I mean, and again, like this is I, I almost made an Atlanta reference when we're big in Israel right now, so I, I need to figure something else out. But it like the, this part of the the book feels like we're going just to Chattanooga. It's like a hundred mm-hmm. miles, and it takes them four weeks, right. and we nearly lose the head of the party. Yeah. And then the next book seems to go all the way to the west coast. Like, the next book seems so much bigger and so much vaster, but literally 25% of them is nearly dead mm. by the end of the first book, and they're limping into Chattanooga. Uh-huh. Like, limping 100 <laughs> miles away. Right. Um, or a sixth of this whole work. No. That's how hard this is going to be. And you, if you're a hobbit, it's overwhelming. And uh-huh. I think they do a really good job if you actually sit down and read this. Um, not to say that the books aren't ma- or the movies aren't masterpieces because they mm-hmm. are, and I believe Ian McKellen is nominated for uh, best uh, supporting actor for oh, it, wow. hmm. uh, which he deserves. But that's all in book two. But uh, you miss like uh, Tolkien will, will spend three or four pages talking about the landscape and, yes, the, yeah. the, and the trees and the flowers and so like you uh, miss so, like I agree with you completely, uh, Mike. The the depth of the world mm-hmm. and the world building. Um, and just um, you miss all that with the movie. Yeah. The movie can't capture that. Yeah. And I guess one one other thing too is all the all the songs that end up them coming through, and and we haven't gotten to a lot of them. But the in the in, in the book, a lot of those songs end up getting dropped from the movies, uh, yeah. and that's where I see a tremendous kind of overlap with Beowulf as well. That in 
after each one of the monster fights and after each one of the, the kind of during each of the celebrations in the hall during Beowulf, you have these songs and they're the histories of the people and they're the they're the folklore of the people and they're they're morality stories of of these people and you you lose them in the movies first of all but I also think that it, it lends itself to that scope and it lends itself to to seeing the the histories of these people and just how vast and long and large this world is that that he's creating uh, and I think that you lose a lot of that when you're when you're watching the movie. I think that in the book you get a lot more of that. I'm just waiting for your album to drop. <laughs> Did you have? Well, this is this um, this is when they're attacked on Weathertop, and uh, they're talking about the the history um, of the kings and uh, of the elves and Gilgalad and Baron, and and it's a um, uh, Aragorn Strider breaks out in song. Um, and I'll read just a little bit if it's okay, and I know we're going to finish that, up. Yeah. That, that's a good um, way to end it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is, um, he was silent for some time, this is Strider, and then he began to speak, but to, he began not to speak, but to chant softly. The leaves were long, the grass was green, the hemlock umbels tall and fair, and in the glade a light was seen of stars and shadow shimmering. Tanuviel was dancing there to music of a pipe unseen. And light of stars was in her hair and in her raiment glimmering. There Baron came from the mountains cold, and lost he wandered under leaves. And where the Elven River rolled, he walked alone and sorrowing. He peered between the hemlock leaves and saw in wonder flowers of gold upon her mantle and her sleeves, and her hair like shadow falling. And then it just goes from there. Awesome. Thanks, guys. We'll be back in a week with part two. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks. Thanks.